I mainly wanted to share that being post-Mormon doesn't mean you're post-faith. That there are lots of different roads you can travel when you step out of Mormonism. My name is Jenna Marie. I have left the Mormon faith, but not necessarily faith itself. And this is my story. You're listening to Becoming Wardless, a podcast series featuring stories from people who have made the decision to walk away from Mormonism. Each episode features an interview with one person sharing their story. Our aim is to explore their experience in a respectful and thoughtful way for all people, regardless of your connection to Mormonism. And now for today's episode featuring Jenna Marie. Thanks for joining us, Jenna Marie. I'm really excited to hear your story and to feature it on Becoming Wardless. So why don't we start off by telling us a little more about yourself. Tell us about your background and what your relationship was with the church growing up. So I was born and raised in California to to goodly parents, uh, a long line of Mormons back to Nauvoo and Kirtland. And I had ancestors in the Mormon battalion and ancestors who settled Utah and several ancestors who knew Joseph Smith. And those were the stories that I grew up immersed in. My family was very into remembering the stories of our ancestors and where they had been in Mormon history through the years. We were active in the church. You know, church was every Sunday, youth activities during the week, uh, went to seminary, We didn't necessarily do a lot of the home stuff, like family home evening, but it was very clear that we were a Mormon family. (laughs) And what did that that mean to you as a child? It made me feel special uh, that we had, certainly in a Mormon context, this grand history. It, It made me feel special. It made me know who I was being part of this larger tradition. And it made me feel special at school, you know, that I'm in the true church. And I was perhaps a little overbearing as a missionary to some of my schoolmates. Yeah. (laughs) I was very Mormon. It would be the first thing I would tell people about myself after my name. I was all in. My family was all in. We were a Mormon family living a Mormon life. My beliefs were 100% Mormon. And I just, the the idea that people would leave or would stop believing, I just couldn't wrap my head around because I just thought this was just, this is great. This is awesome. We've got a prophet. It was something I I was proud to be Mormon. I loved being Mormon. And And at what point, well, first of all, did you consider yourself to have a testimony by the time you reached that age of being, you know, being able to understand that? Oh, yeah. I, I, I self-identified as a Molly Mormon. I didn't have really many issues at all with with the church during my adolescence. I think the only time I kind of was uncomfortable was during Proposition 22. And they took a week out of seminary to tell us on why it was important that this passed. That was the California's first attempt at passing the constitutional amendment to say marriage would be between a man and a woman. And that was 
I was a senior in high school that year. I was 18. I would be able to vote for or against it. And even though I wasn't necessarily pro-gay marriage at the time, I was kind of anti the church being involved in something that was political. And I was uncomfortable with them saying that because this is against our religion, these other people outside of our religion can't do this thing. And so I actually, that was the one week I ever ditched seminary. Like as soon as I realized that it was going to be another lesson on Prop 22, I got up and walked out. Wow. What did what did you make of all of that? Like with regards to, you know, your testimony, like, what did you think about that? It actually didn't really affect my testimony. <laughs> Surprisingly, I was just upset that they were doing this. Like, I, I wasn't even aware that it was coming from Salt Lake. I had thought maybe it was a local issue in the church. I didn't blame the church at large. And so I, for me, it was just a blip. Right. Okay. So did you, uh, did you end up serving a mission or? I did not serve a mission. I did not go to BYU. I didn't particularly like the idea of having all those extra rules to follow. <laughs> oh, okay. So now up to this point, you had made it seem like you were kind of a rule follower, but. I was. I just knew that there were additional rules. Ah, okay. <laughs> like the honor code, you know, you have to be in bed by a certain time and, you know, kind of the, the school-specific and mission-specific rules, the ones that, that weren't directly from scripture. I was like, eh, you know. Yeah, okay. Uh, so where did you end up going to school? What what was your life after moving out of, out of the house? Yeah, um, my first year of college, I was still in California. I went to a junior college. And then for my sophomore year, I actually moved to Utah and I went to UVSC. And I thought, you know, UVSC is kind of close enough to BYU. <laughs> so I still right. had that immersion in, in Mormon culture, but without the honor code. Uh-huh. And I met my husband while I was at UVSC. And he had had a period of, of being inactive and had come back to the church shortly before I met him. And I remember thinking, I didn't have any positive examples of people leaving the church. And so I was, I, I took it as a bonus that he had already somewhat left the church once and had decided that really wasn't what he wanted and had come back to the church. And I thought, great, you know, I'm not going to have to worry about that happening to me. And we were married, I think when we'd been married about for five years was when I had my first big, oh no, <laughs> in regards to my testimony. And it happened when I was um, participating in a message board discussion. And message boards in the early 2000s, it was pretty common if you ever mentioned Mormonism, there was going to be people coming out and saying, oh, it's a cult or it's, you know, false prophet and polygamy and, you know, bringing up all the, all the dirt. And that didn't really bother me too much because I'd heard all of that during elementary school. But this one commenter had asked, well, how do you know that you actually believe this? How do you know you haven't just been tricked by Satan? And normally that's a comment that I would just kind of laugh at, roll my eyes, like whatever. And I don't even think it was necessarily the comment itself, but what I had been thinking before that discussion, because even though I you know, was firm in my identity as a Mormon and the doctrine made sense and 
you know, and I loved being Mormon, I had never had that Moroni moment, you know, where you pray with a sincere heart and having real intent and faith in Christ that the book, if the Book of Mormon is true, and the Holy Spirit will tell you that it is. I had done that several times, and it was like radio silence. And so when that poster made that comment, it kind of brought that up, like, you know, I've never had that experience that we're told constantly is what proves the church true. You know, the Holy Spirit telling you that this is the truth. And with that comment, it is triggered in my brain. What if the reason why I haven't had that experience is because I'm being tricked or because it really isn't true, that someone is tricking me into thinking that this church is the truth. And it was like, like a wall just tumbled down. Like I went from being 100% Molly Mormon to my faith was gone. That like, fast. That fast. I, I, I spent the rest of the day sobbing because I was so shocked and devastated that I really don't know if this is true. And I don't know how to know because the way I've been taught how you're to know by you know praying and receiving that answer, I've done and gotten nothing. So what if this huge part of my identity really is nothing? That's a really hard place yeah, to it, be. It, it, it was horrible. I spent, I mean, I cried myself to sleep several nights. My poor husband was trying to, to calm me down and Okay, so there's so much that just happened super yeah. fast. So, yeah. you, I mean, you'd, you'd said you had this belief, you were like 100% in, but you've never had that fulfillment of that promise. That seems like a pretty big deal. Okay. What? So what did you make of that at the time early in your life when you would pray, when you would reach that point in the Book of Mormon and Moroni and would pray and then wouldn't receive an answer? What did you make of that then? Yeah, in the Doctrine and Covenants, there's a scripture that says, to some it is given to believe, and to others it is given to trust in those who believe, or something to that effect. And to me, I always took that to mean, and I think I even had it explained to me by my seminary teacher, is that scripture means that not everybody is going to get this big revelatory moment. You know, We're not all going to have our own Sacred Grove experience. That for some people, it's just trusting in the people in our lives who do have that strong, sure faith. And so that's kind of what I was hanging on. And I figured that eventually I would get that experience. I trusted that eventually that moment would come for me. So it did it bother you? Did it Was it something sort of gnawing at you? like, Or, what, or were you pretty okay? It would occasionally bother me, and then I would go to church and have like a really positive experience in Relief Society or something, and be like, "Oh, I'm okay. You know, this is fine." Mm -hmm. Like I, I was still a person of faith. I believed in God. I believed that I, I, I had experiences with the Spirit. I guess you would say they just weren't necessarily like this means the church is true mm -hmm. kind of experiences. Yeah. They were more generic religious experiences. Mm, okay. Okay, so let's go back to that moment. 
on that that message board. Um, and I think the description was the walls came tumbling down. Yes. Why do you think at that moment that was the response? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe because I had finally reached a point where I was getting a little scared that I still hadn't had that moment. I think it it is it, it was the first time that I had ever considered that maybe that moment just isn't going to come. I was, you know, a bit older and I had met other people who were strong in their faith who also talked about strong spiritual experiences that they had had. And I guess it was the first time that I had considered what if this is wrong? Whenever I would think about not having had that Moroni moment, I would just think, well, the church is going to prove itself true eventually. You know, I'm going to have that moment where I know the church is true eventually. Yeah. I had never, ever once thought maybe I never will. I had, that had never, ever crossed my mind. And I think that was just so jarring for me. Yeah, it just kind of knocked me over. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us, just describe a little more, like, how did that feel? You said you were were crying. Um, Can you go back and remember that, that, the fallout from that? I think one of my biggest thoughts was, what if I can't get back? What if I can't get that faith back? And I particularly thought of my husband, because it was just as important for him to marry, you know, a nice Mormon girl in the temple and, you know, raise kids in the church and eternal family was something that was important to both of us. And one of the first thoughts that I had when I thought about the possibility that I might not be able to get my faith in the church back was what would it do to my husband to look at me and still see his wife, but no longer see his eternal companion. Mm, Yeah. So that was what kind of loomed over me the most. You know, I loved him with all my heart. I didn't want to hurt him like that because I knew how much it would hurt me were the shoe on the other foot. Right. That's a really painful place to be in when it's not just you, but you're in relationships, intense relationships with people. Yeah. That that are also tied up in the church. Yeah. So you knew at that moment, like, what you thought of as your testimony had crumbled. Right. But you weren't sure that you were going to leave at that point. You were thinking maybe you could make it work. What were what were some of those thoughts? I wanted to try and, and regain a testimony if I could. I pretty much decided that I was now going to be an investigator. Uh, Preach My Gospel had recently come out. So I bought my own copy. I dug up my husband's missionary reference library. You know, I and I read, you know, Jesus the Christ and Marvelous Work and a Wonder. I bought a copy of Rough Stone Rolling and read that. So I just wanted to you know, really investigate the church cuz pretty much all my learning of Mormon teachings up to that point had just been Sundays and seminary and Sunday school and and general conference and things like that, where it's assumed that you already have a lot of understanding of the doctrines. And so I kind of 
decided that I was going to try and, and go to the basics, is particularly with, with Preach My Gospel. I was like, I wanted to hear how do the missionaries explain this to people who really don't know much about the church at all? What do they teach them to, to convince them that this is the truth? Because maybe then it can also convince me. So what, what was the outcome of, of your intense study? I would say I, I had a hope testimony where I still didn't know if the church was true, but there were several of the teachings that I hoped were true, that I felt were good, uh, were a positive force in my life and in the life of others that I saw. And I hoped that the parts that I didn't necessarily care for would be resolved, or maybe I just hadn't stumbled across the right piece of information that would help me see it, this bothersome thing in perhaps a, a better light. Uh, there's the article of faith about, you know, we believe that God will yet reveal many things to the church. And so I thought, well, maybe there's better roads ahead for the church that, you know, there'll be some revelation that will just like, you know, with, with blacks and the priesthood, there was eventually a revelation that did away with the ban. And, and that's kind of what I had my hope in that there was enough good to make it worthwhile to stay. And there, the bad stuff wasn't so bad at the time that I couldn't live with it and just kind of stick it on the back burner. <laughs> so, um, what was the length of that process of, of coming to that conclusion? That was a couple of years. A couple of years. Okay. Yeah. And in that time, um, let's go back to like your husband. How aware was he of what was going on with you? Well, he knew when I first had that big walls coming down moment because he saw that I was distraught and I explained to him why. And what I really appreciated that he did in that moment was he told me, like, as I told him, I was, I wanted to get a testimony back. You know, it had been such a huge part of my life and my identity. I didn't want to just throw it aside right away. Cause I, it wasn't that I, I know the church isn't true in that moment. It was more, I really don't know if it's true. So I had, I had lost my faith, but I wasn't absolutely convinced that it was false or anything like that. It was just, I don't know, but I want to know one way or the other. And I'm going to work to finally find out one way or the other. And what he told me was that he would love me regardless, even if I didn't get a testimony again. And that really helped me. Not that the process became easier because he said that, but it was less fraught because I had been worried. Like, what if I try to just really convince myself it's true so that I can save my marriage? Mm -hmm. You know, what if I, if I'm only convincing myself that the church is true so that my husband won't leave me, but him telling me that he'll love me regardless, helped me know that, okay, whatever side I end up coming down on, it's going to be genuine. It's going to be, this is really what I believe in my heart of hearts. And I'm not trying to pretend or force a belief in something to please someone else that I can know 
that this really is what I believe and I will still be accepted by the most important person in my life, whatever it ends up being. Which goes back to that initial question that was, how, how do you know mm-hmm. yourself? So that would be, yeah, it makes sense that that'd be so important. Yeah. Okay, so that feeling of, okay, I can't say that it's not true, but I don't know that it is, or I, I don't know what I do believe. What does that mean for you? You were talking about your, up to that point, your whole identity was Mormonism. And what did that mean for you, that not, that not knowing? Yeah, I, I definitely had to learn more about myself during that time. Because a lot of my social interactions revolved around the church. A lot of the decisions that I made revolved around the church. And so I did have to kind of figure out, even maybe not necessarily intentionally trying to figure out who I was outside of Mormonism, but that's kind of what happened, that... I had to figure out why does this particular belief speak to me or if there's this piece of Mormon doctrine that that makes me uneasy, why? Why why does it make me uneasy or why do I want this to be true or why do I hope that this eventually proves to not be true or it gets adjusted or or something? And, And so there was a lot of introspection that had to happen because I was trying so hard to really figure out, you know, is this right or is this wrong? And so when something would make me feel good or positive about the church or if something would make me feel kind of uneasy, I had to ask myself why. And that taught me a lot about myself. How difficult was that? Was it liberating? Was it excruciating? Was it like painful? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> all those things, <laughs> all those things. Um, yeah, because in some ways I became more confident in myself because when I did come down as on something as, you know, this this is something that I definitely believe in, like this one particular aspect of church teachings, then I could stand more confidently in it. Like, yeah, this this is a principle that I can endorse wholeheartedly and and then also it would be painful if there was something that I wasn't as comfortable with and there would be sacred meeting talks on that topic that I would just be quietly sitting there in the pew and in my head I'm like, ah, you know, not this topic, please. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> or, or I would keep hoping, hoping, hoping that the person giving the talk would say something that would help me see it in a positive light and it's like, nope, I still really don't like this part, <laughs> you know. And I wasn't really open with many people that I was struggling other than my bishop. I met with him once, told him what I was doing to try and regain a testimony. And he was like, well, those are good things. Keep doing them. And that was pretty much the end of that. (laughs) So you had had kept it pretty, like your husband was aware. But other than that, it was was not. I'm a pretty private person. Mm -hmm. And I I just like, this is my problem. I'm going to work it out. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, t- so after a couple of years, you said you arrived at what you what you described as a hope testimony. Yeah. Um, how long did that sustain you? How did that go? 
Yeah, um, it actually went for several years. I'd say it was around 2009, 2010 that I felt pretty confident in my little hope testimony. And that was sufficient for me until the November policy. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That was 2015, right? Okay, so what happened when the policy was leaked for you? Um, well, at first, I kind of didn't believe it. And I know a lot of most people didn't when it first came out. They were thinking, oh, this is some you know, anti-Mormon thing to make the church look bad. But then the first presidency put out that signed statement saying that, no, this, this is a real policy. And my hope testimony just, again, it, just like my original testimony, just collapsed on itself. And it was, I had always been willing to give the church leadership the benefit of the doubt. And this was the first time where I could not in good conscience give them the benefit of the doubt. And I, that was too much for me. And that just knocked everything over again. And and how did that? Because so much of the church relies on, you know, there being a prophet that speaks to God and is guiding the church. It is a pretty big thing to have topple. Yeah. And I was just devastated all over again because I felt like one thing that that the church really did a good job at instilling in me is the sense of integrity. And at that point, it was like to, to go along with this policy would violate my integrity, that I would have to stop being me to say that, well, I guess this is all right even though my conscience inside of me is screaming, no, no, this is wrong. And so then did you, at that point, did you decide, I I need to leave the church? Not immediately, although church became a lot more uncomfortable. Uh, Well, I I had hoped that maybe the backlash would be bad enough that they would retract it. Okay. And that was kind of, I I had my fingers crossed. I go, please retract it. Please retract it. (laughs) But a a few weeks later, uh, we got news that my husband's job was transferring him to the Midwest. And I had never lived out here before. And, you know, Mormonism does community really well. You know, you you move to a new place and you go to your new ward and it's like, boom, you've got people that you can, you know, go over to their house for dinner or play groups and things like that. And I knew I was going to need that. And so I was kind of set myself in a holding pattern. And so I was like, I've got so many big changes going on right now. I'm going to put this one on hold <laughs> once we're moved and, and settled. And then I'll, I'll decide what to do from there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of change at once. Yeah. Okay. So you, we so you end up moved into a really wonderful ward. They really helped with the adjustment. Did uh, during this time, um, I'm assuming because because your husband had already been aware of your previous struggles, had you brought him along through this part of it? You know, how aware was he? Uh, he knew that I really hated the policy. Mm-hmm. He knew that I was upset by it, um, but I don't. I I didn't really open up to him about how deeply it had it had affected me. And that's something I kind of regret now because I, I had, I didn't want to be the cause for someone else losing their faith. Yeah. And because it's such a confusing thing, I didn't even know where to start in explaining to him 
what was going on in my head. Like, how do I even start to explain explain this? Because it, it it did take a while for me to put into words what had happened when I learned about the policy. I just knew that I couldn't agree with it at all. But what that meant in the bigger picture took me a, a while longer to really figure out. Talk about that then, the aftermath. What was that like? Yeah, it, how, how, did, how did that play out? Well, after after I got tired, like as the months went by and I realized, you know, they're not going to retract this, there was some talk where one of the apostles had given some piece of advice of how you know young people should live or something. I don't even remember exactly what he had said. And it, it struck me in that moment that because of that policy, I no longer saw them as a moral authority in my life. And when I was able to put words to that, that's when it started becoming more difficult to sit comfortably through church. Because I still was a regular church attendee for about a year and a half after that policy went through. But the last three or four months just became increasingly more and more and more uncomfortable. And and I had also started listening to podcasts that were more kind of agnostic, where they go and they explore these kind of fringe religious groups. And I just started listening to that because I thought, oh, that, that sounds cool you know, to see what these other really weird, you know, small sects do. And the, the hosts are atheists. And they were, they were investigating them in a, in a respectful way. They weren't going to mock them or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was both hearing what other churches' understanding of God and the universe and the meaning of life and all that are, and also hearing what atheists think about God and the meaning of life and, and, and all that. And so I started wondering, you know, was God out there? And that was probably the hardest for me because I— because God was something that I felt like I had had that intimate connection with. You know, when I initially lost faith in, in the church, my relationship with, with God, my faith in God was pretty untouched. You know, that it, it wasn't so much, you know, is, is God real? Is just, is this God's church? Was my big question. And so now I was starting to even question that. And that also made you know, added a level of uncomfortableness to going to church. And it was just, it, it got to a point where it was just absolutely exhausting. I would have to come home from church and just lay on the bed for an hour because my mind and heart were just, you know, I, I don't know. You know, it, it was just so much of, I don't know. And it was very tiring. <laughs> yeah. So what finally caused something to change? I think it was my youngest baptism where there was, during one of the talks, someone said something that was just very generic Christian. It wasn't Mormon specific. But for the first time in years, I I felt that, that that little inkling of something that reminded me of what it had been like when I had felt like I had really strong faith in God. Like I had just a little spark of that for a couple minutes. Uh, during that talk. And so I came to a point where now I want to see not I, like, I, I really felt like I, I couldn't possibly rebuild a testimony in, in the Mormon church anymore 
But now I felt like, well, now I need to go and see if there's God. I can't, like, I have to get out of this holding pattern that I had been in for a year and a half. And I had, because I was miserable and, and, you know, they, I think it's in the Book of Mormon where it talks about, you know, if you plant a seed, you'll eventually, you know, it'll grow and you'll, you'll see that it was a good seed. And one of the, the reasons that I had been told that maybe why I hadn't had that big revelatory, oh, the church is true moment was because I'd been raised in it. And so I didn't know what life was like without it. You know, that seed had always been in my heart. I didn't know what it was like without it. And I would probably be more mis I would probably be miserable if I left the church and then I would realize that, oh, I did have something good when I was in the church. I should go back. And so I kind of thought, okay, I'm gonna do the opposite. Instead of, you know, trying the gospel to see if it makes me happier, I've been trying the gospel. I'm gonna maybe let go of it, you know, really let go of, of Mormon teachings for a while and see if that does make me more miserable then maybe the church is, has something, you know. And so I I stopped wearing garments, and I went to Mall of America. My kids were at some all-day event, and just to kill time until I had to pick them up again, I went to Mall of America, and I had on a tank top, and I went to the Tim Hortons, and I ordered a cup of coffee. Your first and cup I of remember coffee? Sitting, my first cup of coffee, and I remember sitting there with my shoulders out, and a cup of coffee, and I was looking at the people walking by, and I remember thinking, I am the only person in this building to whom this is a really big deal right now, of having bare shoulders and a cup of coffee, and it was like this weight that I hadn't realized I was living under was gone. It was lifted, and the world looked so different. All of these things that I had been basing my life around, all these decisions that had really I'd been making because of the church, you know, and, and yeah. it was just this weight came off. And it's like, I can make my own decisions. <laughs> like, wow, you know, and, and I was just immediately so much happier. So you found out you did an experiment and you found out you were okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I told my husband and, he was understandably very upset. What, so you told him what exactly that did you I had, tell had him? I told him that I had, I tried some coffee today and that I really I really am not Mormon anymore. I I just really can't see myself regaining a testimony in the Mormon Church. And I, and I feel good about this. That that making these decisions actually makes me feel good. I don't feel like I'm sinning. I don't feel like I'm doing anything bad. And I told him, you know, church is exhausting. I'm going to just go to church when I want to. But so it was that my interactions with the church from there on out were going to be on my terms. He could, he can continue being, you know, Mormon. And if he wanted to continue going to the temple and everything, you know, I would support him in that. But my relationship with the church was going to be very different from there on out. And so then how did, how did that work out after that? How... What did it look like? Well, I I, never, I found that the one Sunday I absolutely could not go was fast and testimony meeting because hearing people saying, you know, I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. You know, I know this. I know that when I had tried for so many years to know it was just too painful. 
but generally more often than not, I would be there for at least sacrament meeting and Sunday school, but not really paying attention, usually just playing solitaire on my phone or something. <laughs> so then at this point, had then did you have to deal with your kids as far as telling them anything or and also how did you deal with your family, your parents and siblings? Well, we were living away from family and so I didn't really tell them much of anything. Okay. Um, and I really wasn't sure what to say to my kids at that point until uh, after I started attending a new church. Ah, okay. Let's go to that. So, so I just yeah, how did that happen? The, yeah, um, with my son's baptism, with having that little spark that kind of reminded me of, of what, it, what it had been like being a person of strong faith, I realized that, you know, I, I missed God. And, and even though I was, you know, listening to agnostic and atheist and skeptic voices, and, you know, there were a lot of things that they said that you know, made sense and that were good. And there were other things I was like, uh, you know, I don't know that I agree with them on that. But I wanted to see, you know, could I find God again? And my husband, when I opened up to him about, you know, that I wasn't really sure if there was a God, I think that rocked him more than the idea that I didn't believe in Mormonism anymore. <laughs> and so that was you know, one more motivation to see, you well, why don't I, you know, start visiting other churches and see what happens. You know, if I visit a bunch of churches and maybe a synagogue or something, and I still just, you know, none of it connects with me, then I'll just embrace agnosticism and, and move on from there. And so I just decided to start um, with the Episcopal Church because of things that a friend of mine who's Episcopalian would share on her Facebook page. And I knew that they were open to LGBT persons and they ordained women to the priesthood and things like that. So for me, they had a lot of things going for them. And so I decided to start there and I went to that service and I was just bowled over. It was beautiful. It was God centered. And there's a part in the service where they say they proclaim the mystery of faith. And it was the first time I had ever heard faith described as a mystery or encountered in a church setting that it's okay if you can't explain it, if you can't quite put your finger on it, if you're not really sure, you know, that's okay. And, but I got home and I told my husband, you know, I really like that. And then I kind of laid on my bed and looked at the ceiling for, <laughs> you know, a good 15, 20 minutes. Cause I was just like, this is what my soul has been so hungry for all these years that I had without even necessarily realizing it of being able to have faith that's faith, not this sure, I know that this is true. I know that this is right. And that was, you know, a revelation to me. And, and I went back, you know, week after week and, and got more of that same message that it's okay if I don't know. And I still kind of put myself as a kind of a believing agnostic uh, where I still, I think there's something divine out there, um, something bigger than us out there. I don't know what it is, but, you know, again, I'm back to having a new hope testimony that I do kind of hope that there is something more. And if there is, I like the idea that the, the Episcopal Church teaches that we can, we're supposed to be creating the kingdom of God now, that it's not going to be perfect, we're not going to be 100% successful, but you know, the here and now that we can do 
to improve the world. And that's something that I feel comfortable putting my faith in. And if it ends up still being wrong, I'm okay with that. And it doesn't violate my conscience to participate in in what they're trying to do in the community. So have you then found a new home in the Episcopal faith? Is it... Yeah. You're, 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 I don't know. I don't know if they use the word active, but, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm there every Sunday. I'm about to, to join the vestry, which is the, the lay leadership. You know, they have the priest who's an employee, who's kind of the shepherd of the congregation, but then there's the vestry who helps choose the Sunday school curriculum and they handle the finances and, you know, if there's repairs that need to be made on the building, they arrange for those. And Okay. So what does it look like within your family? As I'd say as... we're pretty well-adjusted now. Um, we did tell the kids that we are a two-church family, and they get to choose who they go to church with. Um, we've kind of seemed to have settled on a routine where my oldest and my youngest come with me, and then my middle child, who is just ordained a deacon, goes with dad. And sometimes the youngest will go with him too. The oldest isn't really a believer in anything right now. Mm -hmm. And so they generally prefer to stay home rather than go to church with either one of us. But my husband, the agency is really important to him too. And, you know, that's something we're both in agreement on that we're not going to force our kids to be what we think they ought to be. And that's something that even predates my whole faith crisis. So Sounds like your marriage has also survived. Yes, I I feel very blessed on that front. He's been very supportive. Anytime I've taken a step further into the Episcopal Church, like becoming an official member or maybe in, increasing the amount of time that I serve there, he sometimes needed some time to adjust to the idea or to think about it. But he's generally just give him time to to get used to the idea, and he comes around. <laughs> he he knows that this is this is what my faith is. He's, he's not tried to talk me out of it. He's been really good at accepting where I am now. Yeah. So, um, so it sounds like you've landed in a good place. I recognize this is still a process that's ongoing, but yeah. What do you want to say about where, where you've landed now and, and where you're at? I, I enjoy, I really love where I am now because I feel that I am who I have decided to be. I still appreciate my Mormon upbringing. It helped me have an identity when I was younger. And, you know, not, not many people get to have that of, of knowing who they are and where they've come from. That was all very positive. And I think what I most appreciate about where I am now is that I am now who I have decided to be, that I have had to really work through that original identity that I was given as a child and figure out which parts do I want to keep and which parts no longer work for me and explore the broader world to see what new parts I want to add. And one of those parts that I kept was faith in God, but one of the parts that I gave up was exercising that faith within the Mormon church and believing that I need to know 100% for sure that I'm right about any of that. So I can hope it's okay that it's just a hope. And that can be both 
invigorating and terrifying, but it also helps me to be more confident in decisions when I make them, that they're ones that I have thought through and I'm doing it because it's what I want to do as opposed to what some outside authority is telling me I have to do. Thank you for sharing that. Um, One last question before we go. Do you have anything that you want to say specifically to people that are listening that, that know you and love you and that you know and love? Is there anything, you know, a particular message you want to, to give to them, you know, in closing? Yeah. Um, I would think I would say it's not anyone's fault that, that I lost faith in, in the Mormon church. There wasn't anybody who hurt me. And, you know, I don't regret being raised in the church. It was a positive experience for me. And I hope they can understand that I'm not leaving out of anger and that I still have hung on to the good things that my time in the Mormon church gave me. And I have now taken on additional good things that the Episcopal church and the broader world have shown me. And I, I, continue to hope to be to grow into a better person, a more Christ-like person, even though they may not be entirely thrilled with my decision to, to leave the Mormon church, I hope they can understand that we we still share have a feeling that faith is important. Um, I, I still think that you know if we got down to real the foundations of, of why we believe faith is important, why we believe family is important, why we believe doing good things in the world is important, that we would find we have a lot more in common than not, even if our religious beliefs may now look very different. And I just hope that they know that I still love them and I don't view them as being deluded or tricked by Satan, that they're still Mormon, you know, (laughs) if it works for them and that's what they believe, I'm not going to try and drag them out with me or anything like that that I hope we can still enjoy the things that we still share and, and and still have a good relationship. And I hope that that is um, an outcome of this. So I really appreciate your willingness to come on Becoming Wordless and to talk to us about this. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Whatever your relationship with Mormonism might be, we appreciate you being here, and we hope you found this to be valuable. Becoming Wardless is a sub-series of the Wardless podcast. To learn more, or to find out how to feature your story on Becoming Wardless, please visit wardlesspodcast.com.